Kay Wilder, I've actually been traveling. So we're going to do a little short right now this week just to drop something, but also of worth. Okay, so Wilder, of course, watched The Suicide Squad. Oh, obviously. Obviously. And she pointed out, you know, it's not your thing. I think it was because of Black Widow, right? (laughs) I think it's because you haven't watched any superhero movies maybe ever, except for like one Spider-Man, but that's cool. Okay. So I thought, okay, well, we'll do Suicide Squad. And I wanted to put together a couple questions and everything else. So I did a little homework and then I watched the trailer and I'm like, I want to watch this. I desperately want. Wow. So, all right. Yeah. So give me your 411. Do I want to watch it? It looks amazing. And what a cast. And it doesn't feel superhero-y. Well, uh, yeah. So the the history of the Suicide Squad, for those of you who are unfamiliar, there was a previous movie with Will Smith a couple of years ago. The Suicide Squad are supervillains who have been caught, who are now put together as a team to go in and do these missions that they probably aren't going to make it out alive from. And if they succeed in the mission, their sentence gets decreased. So that's essentially who the Suicide Squad is. It's made up of many different characters, depending on what the mission is. And the previous Suicide Squad was really not very good at all. I think everybody went into this movie as the sequel with kind of low expectations because the first one was so bad. And James Gunn of Marvel fame, who did Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, did this movie. You know, he got fired from Disney for five minutes because an old tweet surfaced. And Warner Brothers was like, hey, buddy, you want to come in and fix our franchise for us? And he was like, great. And then he got rehired by Marvel. But so he came in and he did this movie. And everybody was raving about it. Everybody was talking about how great this movie is. And so I think my expectations were a little higher than I anticipated going in. I didn't love it as much. Huh. But I'm sure I'm going to love it. Yeah, maybe. Look at this cast. Margot Robbie, Will She's Smith. She's great. No, not Will Smith. Idris Elba. I watched the wrong one. So there's Suicide Squad and then there's The Suicide Squad. Oh, you know what? Yes. Oh, that's so funny. I watched the wrong one. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that one's really bad. Wait, was Viola Davis in this one? Viola Davis is in both, yeah. Okay. She's the she's the taskmaster. But also, if you look at the actors, Will Smith, Viola Davis, Margot Robbie, they are so not superheroes. So I I've loved having them in the superhero position because it was like, OK, I can relate to that. And maybe it's believable. Uh, well, no, none of it's believable, for one, um, which is fine, because like it's a superhero movie and I don't really care about that. But in this sequel they really take that tone of Guardians of the Galaxy and try to put it into Suicide Squad. And for me, it doesn't really work because Suicide Squad's really dark, right? There's a really good chance they're not coming back from this mission, right? And they humanize these villains and they kind of explain to you why they are the way they are. It certainly is a lot of fun. There's a lot of needless death and big explosions and ridiculous lines out of nowhere, Structurally, the movie's kind of a mess, but I think they do a good job of setting up a movie where your main villain is an alien starfish. So, like, if that's your bag, you're going to have a blast with this. It is a fun movie, but I think structurally, at the end of the day, it doesn't really hold up. It's trying really hard to be that fun tone of Marvel, and it doesn't quite succeed because it doesn't have the bedrock of the rest of the franchises to hold it up. So unfortunately for me, I was a bit let down from what I thought I was going to be getting. Margot Robbie's great. Idris Elba is great. Idris Elba is great in anything. He really is. Like he, again, with 
with the who I would pay to see paint the wall. It's, he's on that list. But they've also got John Cena in this, who I'm not a huge fan of to begin with. But if you've seen the Guardians movie, he's pretty much playing the same character as Drax. But like he plays a really dark version of Captain America. He's got his own version of morality and like he'll kill man, woman and child for peace. Right. And he doesn't care who he has to kill to keep the peace, which is a really interesting, fun character to play with. I don't know that he has quite the chops to do it. They have a walking, talking shark named King Shark, who's voiced by Sylvester Stallone. Absolute genius. Really ridiculous. So over the top, but super fun. So if you want like a fun romp, it's not a bad movie, but it didn't quite hit my expectations of what I wanted to see out of the DC world. They've consistently missed for me. I wish they'd start over. They might do that with Flashpoint. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I might watch it. I'll let you know if I do, but thanks. All right. If you do, I will. I hope you live tweet it if you do. Okay. I will. I'll try. Like, I want to know what's going through your head at every moment of watching that movie. So let us know if you've (laughs) seen it or if you're going to watch it. But then, and then on the side, I watched all the episodes of The Chair. What'd you think? I just started it. Okay. So I am curious. I just started it. And later on in the podcast, I'm going to interview Lori Rutter, who is a major Harvard girl. She went to uh, Harvard and now like she was been very successful as a consultant and she is still committed to the university, but she recognizes its problematic areas. And she and I are going to talk about how people are saying that the chair is written about Harvard. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's Sandra Oh, who, by the way, I wrote a piece about Sandra Oh when she left Grey's Anatomy and said I wouldn't be watching anymore. I thought she- Me too. Sorry, I didn't read a piece, but I agree with you. Yeah. (laughs) I think- Everybody was, oh, Gray, you know, Gray's so great. Gray was the most self-centered, narcissistic woman I've ever seen. Oh, I just thought she was boring. I just loved Christina. Well, and add that to the list. But anyway, yeah. so I'll watch Sandra Owen anything. But the creators of this, the chair, Amanda Peet created it. She wrote it. Yeah. Now, you'll remember Amanda Peet from? Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. No. I, should I have answered that differently? But that's my Aaron Sorkin. Uh, that is <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong answer. My first exposure to Amanda Pete was in Something's Gotta Give, where she plays Mare and the daughter of mm-hmm. uh, Meryl Streep. And she was mesmerizing. Every time she was on the screen, I was not looking at Meryl. I was looking at her. And then I didn't see her again. And I thought, oh, bummer, you know. And now she's written this incredibly interesting and very well reviewed show about women becoming a chair in a university. And she shows both sides of tenure, the problems with it, as well as the need for it. And she lays them all out with some humor, a little irony. And she also underneath it all, the fiber of the whole thing is about women in teaching at the university level and how they just have had a hard time breaking through that glass ceiling. And she adds into that Sandra O oh has a daughter who is adopted and the pain of having a major career and trying to raise a child who knows the button to push in you is that you're a terrible mother and a terrible woman. Oof. It's laden with so much amazing stuff. Sandra O oh, as always is very very good knit, but again the part is so well-written. Every dialogue. It's got a really good cast around her too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does. Uh, true. I didn't yeah. Even- she, she, they've yeah. got a lot of heavy hitters on this show. And I, I was really surprised because 
I, when I saw the the trailer for it, it just seemed like yet another foray. You're right, you're into- right about the cast. It's so funny because Holland Taylor plays. Oh, she's so good. Okay, and but remember who she was a major professor in? Do you remember? Legally Blonde. Oh my God! Yeah, she was. She was great in Legally and Blonde. And she, by the way, was in Legally Blonde. The person she was playing was Liz Warren, hmm. who is yeah. was, the, was the female professor at Harvard. My daughter took her law class. The room could not fill up. She was very difficult, mm. very hard to uh, to do it. But the room could not fill up more strongly. So it's amazing. You know? I mean, Holland's great. Bob Balaban is someone I've loved watching as a character actor for most of his yeah. career. Me too. I was so surprised to see him in this. J.D. Plass is fantastic. If anybody liked Transparent, you'll recognize him from that. Uh, he's a widower who's been on quite the alcoholic bender uh, the past couple of days <laughs> and dropping his daughter off to college, but he's like the most popular professor on campus. And I enjoyed the pilot. So I'm happy to dive in and see where the next few episodes take us. I think, you know, I, it, there's some great work out there and we're going to wrap this up and um, move into Lori's take on Harvard and the, and the association there. But so this week it's um, Harvard university or a superhero ma- movie you decide. see you next week everybody thanks Lori Rudder my friend from way back when thank you so much for being here and thank you I mentioned to all of our listeners who have been listening to Liz and I talk about the chair that you're the one who texted me and said hey you got to do the chair so thank you for that girlfriend you are very welcome i'm also going to put in plug in to say you should listen to if you haven't or watch we are lady parts next but we'll we'll talk about that later yeah we'll talk about that later and you'll have to come back and do something along we are lady parts which already i'm intrigued just by the title and we all know that you know i love titles but liz and i talked a lot and one of the things i mentioned that i was going to talk with you about is everyone saying you know what is this based on a college somewhere? And while, uh, you know, yeah, no, whatever. You, I know, are very active still as an alum of Harvard University. And you're possibly hearing beneath the uh, radar, right? That that's sort of what it's based on. Do you think that's it? I think there's a little bit of that. One of the writers um, did her PhD there. And so there was an article recently in the Harvard Gazette. It's not like below the radar because it was published. Okay. Uh, uh, talking to her about her decision to go into screenwriting instead of academia. And she talked a lot about some of the horror stories that she encountered, even as a graduate student. And I do think when you look at the set of the chair with the snow and the wainscoting, which is all over every single room and the dead white men portraits everywhere, you know, it could be any Ivy or Ivy. Most of them, by the way, I'm not unhappy. They're not with us because I can't imagine they would have made my life better. I agree. But but basically, I think there's probably a little of a lot of elite Ivy and non-Ivy schools in this show. But I think most interesting, at least I don't know what you talked about with Liz, but I think the thing that's really interesting to me about it is the first scene when Sandra Oh, who plays 
uh, Professor Kim, assumes her role as the chair, the first woman of color to hold that position in the English department in this kind of stodgy school. The first thing that happens is she sits in the chair literal chair and it breaks um and i thought by the way is such it's just such foreshadowing for what's gonna happen like you can't sit in this chair they're not gonna let you and nothing about the office was comfortable to her or for her and then there's a another older woman professor who was an uh you know kind of on the way out or not quite retired, but they're trying to encourage her to retire named Joan, who I thought was just a brilliant character. She was. Um, And the interesting thing is she was this first woman in the English department who was tenured and they put her in a subterranean disgusting office next to a boiler room. And, And I don't know if you ever saw the movie, the office. Sorry, office space. It was a very geek. It was 1999, a very geeky of the of the era of the tech dot com bubble type time. And there was a guy, also um, a, a character in there, who was subterranean that everyone thought had been fired, and he was in the office. And some of what they've done with Joan and her office is absolutely paying homage to what they did in office space. Even the way the desk is organized is almost exactly the same. She talks a lot. One of the reasons I think she's such a great character is that she talks a lot about what she gave up to get tenure, mm-hmm. which is a part of which women we hope today don't have to do to get tenure. But and you can, you're trying to decide if she regrets having done it or if she thinks she could have done it another way. But it almost is bringing this historical value to what people, women in general, had to do to be brought to the table, the table of tenure, you know. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you're so active over at Harvard and in in academia. What do you think about the way they really portrayed both sides of the tenure situation? Now, Harvard is filled with tenured professors. You went there. Did you view them the way these young people were viewing the tenured professors in the show? It was a long time ago, Chris. Okay, you guys. Okay, it was more than 20 years. She had a reunion a couple of years ago. I'm not just, I'm not saying anything. Okay. Okay, but I will say that the whole idea of tenure, that, and I, I don't know, do you know this? Because I, I don't think you know that I was involved in a bit of a kerfuffle around political correctness in the 1980s with Professor Stephen Thurnstrom. It is in the newspaper, so it is findable. Lori Rudder, Thurman's. <laughs> but um, we were not, I think, quite as able to organize or as, dare I say, for the, I might piss off some younger folks from younger generations, we were not quite as entitled But we had a professor who was teaching a history course on racial and ethnic relations. It was Stephen Thurnstrom with Bernard Balin, who are both very well known. And um, that's why it made the newspapers. And um, he talked about why do you think black men beat their wives? It's because the black women earn so much more money than they do. And we did do hissing in our classes when he said that. And then he proceeded to say he was an alcoholic. So I want to just uh, he may not be one anymore, but he was at that time. And so he said a lot of very loose things. And that was the very beginning of the political correctness movement. He did not get fired. We did complain and we did file complaints in the Black Students Association, filed complaints, but we did not 
promote things on social media because that didn't exist. We didn't promote them on email because that right. didn't exist. So our power was less. I mean, there's a lot of power to. Well, you're say. right. There's power in, in um, not in the process. There's power in the public availability of information, which, you know, makes things spread like wildfire. So all right, now talk, let's talk a little bit about, about the show itself. Why did you love it? Why did you love it? Basically, I thought the writing was incredibly tight and snappy, and each episode is only 30 minutes, but the amount of character development and plot that they include in 30 minutes is astounding. So just the talent. I happen to also be a Sandra O oh fan. I think a lot of people as are. As am I, right? As are many people. Um, and I think that She's so credible and vulnerable in this role. Like one of the things that I loved, I'm, I'm going to kind of loop back to a, a part of what we were talking about before about what Joan gave up to get tenure. But truthfully, Sandra O's oh given up a huge amount. She gave up a relationship, which they talk about, and I don't want to give away the plot, you know, a serious relationship that she had because she wanted to stay with the hope of getting tenure. She was an older mother who adopted a child and her role as a mother and her home life is a really interesting contrast to a woman rising through the ranks and home is falling apart. You know, crazy letters from teachers, a very disapproving dad who um, is often babysitting for her, her young adopted daughter who's of Mexican descent, a daughter who doesn't feel like she's getting enough attention and is really acting out and pushing boundaries. And I just want to say on the pushing boundaries, I think so. Uh, that's a theme in this um, show overall that everyone is pushing the boundaries. Like she, she's pushed the boundary on what it means to be um, a chair, you know, what it means to be a mom. Joan pushed boundaries and said some pretty, you know, when she was drinking at one of the um, faculty parties, said some pretty off color things about some of the ways that she behaved to get the role that she got. And then we have Yaz, who I think is an incredibly interesting character, doesn't have a huge role, but is, an, is a central figure. I don't know what you thought about Yaz. Yeah, you- no, we we already we actually we t- um, Wilder and I talked about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, but I, what you're bringing out that we sort of didn't touch on that I think is so relevant, and it really comes back to what you said originally, which is her falling off the chair. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was that I didn't I didn't really get it until I'm listening to you talking about it. There was never any way. You know, I always tell people in business, look. We want to be in front of the problem. We don't want to be chasing the problem. The minute you start chasing the conversation, you have to own the conversation and certainly in social media. And if you don't, you're always chasing and you'll never catch up. And what I'm realizing is the chair was really telling us it's not going to happen, you know, and everything that happened that you're describing and the people around her and everything else, they weren't ready yet. You know? Well, you know, I, but I think that, in some ways, the chair is also not just the symbol for like the chair is broken, you know, that she is personally broken, the institution is broken. And because this is an important topic for me about how universities don't really focus as much on teaching as they do on money. I think you know how I feel about that. And I'm pretty sure Harvard University knows how I feel about that, um, is that a large part of what she's trying to do is she's trying to bring people together and be the sort of positive convener, you know, keep everyone happy, which is frankly a very traditional female role. And Sandra Oh is not a traditional, has not had a traditional female role, but in this role, those are the expectations. One of the first things she's asked to do after the chair's broken and 
her colleague Joan complains about her office in the basement is the dean, an actor who was known as a doctor, you know, Boomer from St. Elsewhere. I don't know if you recognize yeah. yeah, he's been around for a long time. You know, there's a list of salaries and, you know, he's, she's told she has to cut the budget because there aren't, there's not enough money um, to pay for this. By money. the way, everybody's being told in every university across the country. Um, this is true. But also they undermine her power because there's a special lecture that she would like um, to bestow upon this untenured faculty member, Yaz, who's an African-American woman, superstar that everybody, all the students love, I should say, not the other faculty because they they feel threatened by her. So she offers that uh, lectureship kind of without permission at a faculty meeting to Yaz. And then very quickly, a wealthy donor comes to the, the dean and tells him that she's met an incredible star who can give this this lectureship and could actually even step in for the very flawed. Well, yeah, it's a Hollywood star, actually. Yeah, even yeah. worse. Yeah. Right. He's a Hollywood star with some academic chops, but he's certainly not. Like a George, you know, it's almost like a George Clooney kind of, you know, I'm in, active in politics and I'm, you know, I'm more than just what I am on the screen. However, he's really what's on the screen, you know. Exactly. And I think that that was another great example of like the role that money plays in decision making and how they repeatedly try to make Sandra O oh the fall gal for all all the mean decisions like now she's going to have to go tell Yaz that you know this other person is going to give the lectureship she's going to have to decide which three faculty um, who have been around for quite a long time are going to be cut you know that their jobs are no longer she's going to have to make it all right and then even when and I don't know how much you talked about her crush slash boyfriend professor you know Bill Dobson, who is a beloved professor, but then gets in trouble with social media. But I want to come back to that. They even want her to present the evidence, which is not even real evidence against him to um, dismiss him as a faculty member. You know, a a guy who's had already a lot of loss in his personal life. But to wrap sort of all that around into a bow, basically what you're saying is her role was not to develop a department but rather to be delivering bad news wherever she went. Well, and carry out the orders and the wishes of these guys. There's no power in the position. And then it sort of begs the bigger question, is there no power in the position in general, or is there no power when a woman gets the position finally and has to show up even differently than someone else? But we can sort of let that aside. But back to the plot a little bit, and then I just want to wrap up with one other quick thing. So did you leave believing that tenure is a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, that you are an academic at heart. Every time we've had a conversation, you may not be teaching, but you're an academic. Is tenure a good thing or a bad thing? We never discussed that. Wilder and I didn't go there. I want to know what you think. Well, I mean, just from my opinion is I think tenure is a bad thing. Do you think the series portrayed that? Well, I think they portrayed the ambiguity of it because it's not, I think it was more, it was not really as much about tenure, in my opinion, as it was about meritocracy. Like, what is merit, right? You know, there was a line that she gave when she said, how many followers this star professor, young professor Yaz has, and the um, the the kind of crusty Elliot, um, an older professor. Four million or something? I can't remember. Didn't he have like four million? No, no, he didn't. He didn't have a lot of um, he did not have a lot of followers, but his his line was 
when Sandra O oh said she has more followers than all the rest of us in the department combined because she was using sort of more modern and creative ways um, and her pedagogy was different. It wasn't just talking at, it was engaging with um, and using new media, using song, you know, all of that, which could also be mocked. So I don't see it as perfect, but he said, well, I guess you'd consider Jesus a loser because he only had 12 followers. And I thought that was actually a really good line because everyone's trying to figure out what is merit, what makes you worthy. I mean, is being the chair an honor or is it like watching the crown and it's, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, you know? I mean, is that what it is? Or, or are you someone else's tool, which is really how they're using her as a tool? And then her crush, Bill, kind of points out that she's being used as a tool at times. And Yaz points that out to her and she's very wrought. So I don't really think it's about is tenure good or bad. Yeah, really good. It's really about power and what role power plays and is power different depending on who you are, female, male, of a you know different ethnicity, married, not married, uh, straightforward, a disruptor. I mean, Yaz in some ways is portrayed as a disruptor, but I also thought that the scene where her students in you know Sex and the Novel were, it wasn't clear that they had done any reading or had done anything other than all gotten to do get together to do something interesting and creative, which may or may not have taught them much about the particular um, book. I mean, there was... Did you ever see the movie The Mirror Has Two Faces? No, I did it's not. Barbara Streisand, and she plays a beloved professor who's unattractive, and she falls in love. It's, you know, it's a love story. But they show twice she goes in and teaches her class, and she brings sex into the class, and the class is overflowing. People are standing at the doorways, and it's it's supposed to be Columbia University. And she is so brilliant and you just wish you could sit there for an hour and a half and take the entire class, not just part of it for the film. You know, great teaching does bring three things in my company. You know, I have a marketing company and we have we call it the three E's entertain, engage and educate. And you will absolutely get a customer. OK, and what you're saying is this woman, she did all those three things. But if you haven't seen The Mirror Has Two Faces, you've got to watch it because it's right in line with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here. But anyway, we've got to wrap up. But I want to thank you for taking some time with us today. But also, wait, what's this thing you're recommending we do next? You mean the, the show, the series yeah. I- started watching called We Are Lady Parts, which is a series that's on Peacock. It's a UK series. Love Peacock, by the way. Me too. And it's a series that takes place in the UK. And it's a bunch of Muslim women from all different parts of the world and of all different levels of religiosity who have a punk band. And it's so far, I've only watched four episodes. So, and it's been renewed. I'm definitely going to add it to our list. Will you come back with Wilder so the three of us can talk about it? I'd be happy to always any anytime. Always happy to talk with you. Well, we love film. So does everybody out there. We're so glad we're back doing it every week. We're so glad listeners are coming back in droves. Thank you for taking this time. And thank you for recommending the chair. You're very welcome. I hope everyone else enjoys it as much as I did. I watched it in two nights. That's fast for me. I know. Me too. Me too.